Are You Just Watching is supported by your dearly loved listeners. Special thanks to Craig Hardy, Tim Martin, Richard French, and Stephen Brown II for their monthly support. To help support Are You Just Watching, please go to patreon.com slash areyoujustwatching. Show notes for this episode can be found at areyoujustwatching.com slash 66. Are you just watching episode 66, Sully? Welcome to the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. I'm E. Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And this was, you know, one of those movies we just pulled out of last year's movies. Did it come out? No, it came out. Did it come out last year? Yeah, it's 2016 on, or it's labeled 2016 (laughs) on IMDb. (laughs) Yes. So it came out last year and we waited till it came out on DVD to talk about it. I, it was one I kind of, I think, missed in the theaters. It was probably came out at a time when I was too busy to go see movies. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's a historical uh, a movie about an incident probably everybody remembers, anybody in the United States anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just we wanted to get kind of branch away from our sci-fi dependence and, and hit something, hit a different genre. So it was a good movie. Yeah. Yeah, I I enjoyed it and you know it, it it's nice to have a movie about something that happened not only in our lifetimes but recently in our life lifetimes so mm-hmm. we have personal experience that we can tie it to. Right. Right. You know that we we kind of remembered seeing it we in the news and who didn't. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> right. Um but before we dive into the discussion, I do want to let everybody know, in case you don't listen all the way to the end of our episodes, that we do have created a discussion group in Facebook, uh, and you can find it just by looking for Are You Just Watching and looking for a group instead of a page. Our page is still there, but the group is something you can join, and it will be private so that you can you know post and, and chat and talk, and it won't be out there for the public to see. And we're hoping that everybody who listens to our podcast will join the group so that we can start some really interesting discussions and get some feedback from you on any changes that we need to make with how we do the podcast. Yeah, we do have six members on the group already. That's nice. So, yeah, we'd love and you can interact personally with Tim and I because we're both going to be in the group and we would love to get some discussions going in there uh, regarding movies, commercials, TV shows, anything that people watch uh, just some good in-depth Christian worldview discussions going on there. Absolutely. So please join us. Uh, and the, if, if you can't find us, just go to our areyoujustwatching.com and for the show notes for this episode, which will be at areyoujustwatching.com slash 66 and go all the way to the bottom and we'll have a link uh, to the discussion down there. So, all right. Now, about Sully. This movie... It it was interesting because I built myself up before I watched it. I didn't see it in the theaters. I watched it on DVD and I went on YouTube and I found a ton of documentaries about the actual miracle on Hudson, you know, quote unquote, miracle on mm-hmm. Hudson um, crash and or landing, however you want to call it, and watched a bunch of documentaries. So by the time I watched the movie, I was very well aware of the the way everything panned out. Because I had watched all the documentaries, and now that, 
I find that interesting because I actually avoided watching any of the real life stuff until <laughs> after I saw the movie because I wanted mm-hmm. to get the uh, the sense, I guess, of mm-hmm. uh, what the director, what Eastwood mm-hmm. was uh, was trying to portray in the movie before I let it get um, contaminated by the truth. <laughs> Contaminated by the truth. That's funny. It's my new tagline, contaminated yeah. by the truth. But uh, it's. I watched the movie and then I watched the the special features. Um, mm-hmm. On the DVD? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there were some good ones on there. If you got the Blu-ray, uh, the Blu-ray has extras. The DVD does not. And I was amazed. At, well, at least the DVD I had didn't have anything on it. Um, <laughs> I don't know that there aren't any DVDs out there that don't have extras. But my Blu-ray had extras. My DVD did not. I had got the combo. Um, but yeah, they were, um, there was some really cool stuff on there and there's, I mean, free for the taking. There's a, just a whole bunch of, of stuff on YouTube. I was pretty amazed at how many documentaries have been done about that, which it makes total sense that mm-hmm. they would. Um, one of the things that I really appreciated about the movie was because everybody knows what happened. I mean, if, if you, unless you live under a rock, like, <laughs> there's no way you don't know the story about this airline pilot who landed his airline on the Hudson river and everybody got out alive. Yeah. It's normally when we do a DVD, we don't worry about a spoiler section, but in this case, (laughs) there really is no spoilers that we can't not do. Right. Right. I mean, you were, the movie was already spoiled before you went in because you already knew what happened. So they play off of that at the beginning of the movie because the movie starts with them taking off hitting the birds, and then trying to get back to the airport, which is not what really happened. Yeah. I, I was I was a little thrown. I didn't expect that. Uh, it was sort of like a cold opening type thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, and then it turns out that it's his nightmare, and you're in the day after, basically, it happened. And I appreciate that because it played off the expectations of the viewer when they knew what they were going to see. The movie Sully was a, they knew what it was about. They knew what happened. So to start the movie with this is the way it could have happened, you know, how it could have all gone wrong. Yeah. Um, that just what, really played off the expectations. In the, uh, in the extra features on the Blu-ray, it, did you, did you say you got to watch those? Mm-hmm. Yes, I oh, did. Um, didn't they say that, uh, Eastwood looked, read the book, and then uh, they sat down to talk about how to make it in a movie. And then they decided to make the movie about what was beyond the book. Mm-hmm. I I don't remember that per se, but I do know that they sat down and and realized that they couldn't just make the movie about the actual incident. For one thing, it only took two and a hundred and eight seconds, you know, from the bird hit to them landing on the water. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it wouldn't ma- would be a very short movie. You add that to the <laughs> the twenty four minutes that it took for them to get everybody rescued after the plane landed on the water. Um, so you're talking about you know what twenty seven minutes total from yeah. from the bird hit to when they picked the last I, person up out of the water. Um, you know it <laughs> it would have been a very short movie. <laughs> it's sort of like a commercial. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the the interesting thing about it is that they actually show it the whole extent of the 208 seconds. They actually show that twice in the movie, all mm-hmm. from one from one end to the other. On my third viewing of the movie, uh, that's the one nice thing about going through a DVD is that we can watch it over and over and over again. 
um, I actually timed it, clocked it off of the clock on the DVR or the DVD player um, to see how long it took for them to show the sequence of events. And it was Mm -hmm. 120 seconds longer the second time through. So it was 328 seconds, I think. Well, the the second time through, they actually showed additional dialogue between Sully and uh, Skiles, right? No, it was it was uninterrupted. But what they were showing, I think, that added the actual the extra time to it was they are they were showing what happened in the cockpit and they were showing what happened um, in the uh, air traffic controller. The, yeah, that with the air traffic controller, and I think that added extra seconds because they yep. were going back and forth between them. Um, but it still felt fast. The first time I went, when I first watched the movie, the very first time, I just sat down and watched it for enjoyment. And it felt fast. I mean, from the moment that the, the birds hit to they, were, to they were landing in the water, it felt fast. And I'm like, how on earth can you wrap your mind around how quickly they had to make those decisions? And it really is pretty cool to think about it. Yeah. That his, his experience as a pilot um, got him uh down on into the water safely him and everyone else on the plane yeah exactly um and we're going to go into detail about that later on in our discussion but i do want to mention that the music unlike most movies this was not composed (laughs) michael (laughs) i miss michael (laughs) um this was a, a collaboration of clint eastwood christian jacob and the Turney sutton band i think i'm saying that right um, and it was kind of jazzy, uh, like a soft jazz mm-hmm. and it, it doesn't, didn't really impress on you as there, I mean, it was more just like the un- undercurrent of music going throughout the movie. Yeah. Um, I, there was nothing spectacular about it and I will play just a little bit of it here so you can hear what we're talking about. spectacular but it, it, i mean it, it worked yeah it, i want to say that it, it was more more than a lot of the movies we see i think it was like stealth mode setting the mood right as opposed to like you know uh, rogue one where the movie was mood setting but it was also much closer to being front and center uh and part of the experience right Right. And, uh, you know, it, it will not go down as one of my favorite scores, but it, it definitely, I mean, it worked. It, it set the mood and it worked, but that's about the best I can say for it. Mm. <laughs> not my style of music. Uh, but the movie script, um, and I think it was sort of a collaboration too, but Clint Eastwood, I think, was really hands-on in what he wanted shown in the movie. And... I think the other thing that was really spectacular about the script was that they allowed uh, Captain Sully to read the script and to be involved in decision making about what was going to be shown and 
and everything. I, I think having him involved on, on a, that level really helped the movie stay factual. Yeah. Yeah. I, in my notes, I, uh, I even put one or two places. I wonder if this is how it really happened. Mm-hmm. And, and you pointed out that everything in the movie is how it really happened. Mm-hmm. And I, this has got to be the first movie that we've seen that, you know, is completely, totally and utterly factual. Yes. They didn't, they didn't really add anything for drama. And it was very interesting. I watched, it may have been the one on the DVD. I've, they all get mixed up in my mind now, but one of the, the featurettes I watched um, to, said that uh, the actors, obviously um, we know Tom Hanks was Sully, um, but the, the two actors that played Sully and um, the first officer, uh, the co-pilot. Aaron um, Eckhart. Yeah. Uh, they like actually. Skiles. <laughs> yeah. They actually put them in a simulator, a flight simulator, and let yep. them fly that entire uh, instance of, you know, from the bird strike to landing on the Hudson River um, so that they could feel what it really felt like. And and one of the things that Tom Hanks said was that he, it was interesting because he got to learn what all of the buttons and switches did so that when he was acting it out in the, the open set, because they weren't really in a cockpit when they acted it out, they were in an open set, right. um, that he knew what each button or switch was supposed to do so that he was knowledgeably doing it so that an, an actual pilot watching the movie would go yeah uh-huh 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 yep they did that right they did right you know it they they were using like real instrumentation and they knew what they mm-hmm. were pushing and i think that's very valuable too yeah it's i think it speaks to uh to hank's quality as an mm-hmm. actor um it's there's there's one place in the movie where um where Sully has been waiting for the uh, waiting for the count of the number of people rescued, mm-hmm. because uh, as a domestic flight, there's no flight manifest, there's no list of the of the people mm-hmm. uh, on board the plane, but they know the count, and the count was famously 155 people. Right, uh, that's including the, the crew, the two pilots, and and the, uh, mm-hmm. the flight attendants, and then all the passengers, and uh, for a good 20 minutes of the movie, it is uh, uh Sully waiting with in a great intensity for that the number. final count yeah mm-hmm. and when they deliver that number to him it, it just it really emphasized to me why Tom Hanks is such a great actor cuz he portrays so much mm-hmm. intensity and depth mm-hmm. uh when when that number is delivered to him uh, the relief is is palpable mm-hmm. yeah and um, one of the things that had Palp- fascinated. I'm sorry, palpable. palpable. <laughs> one of the things that uh, really I really got into when watching the documentaries when they interviewed all these people was the interviews they did with the air traffic controller and how what it was like for him, uh, you know, to to stay on task and and to try and and direct the and and when they interviewed him, he kept talking about how he. He, when the pilot suggested that they were going to go in the Hudson, he was like, no, 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 I've got to get them to a runway. And he was trying, you know, kept offering them runways. It's like, can you get to this runway? Can you get to this runway? And he stayed mm-hmm. on top of it because in his mind, the only thing he could ever think of was the Ethiopian airline that, that cartwheeled into the ocean and killed most of the people on board. And in in his mind, there was no way to survive a water landing. And he just, he didn't want them going into the Hudson. 
and they portrayed that in the movie and i was so happy that they spent time with the air traffic controller they included him they they showed what happened to him how he got stuck in a room as soon as you know they lost contact with the plane they took him off controls and stuck him in a room which is procedure under that situation because he's too emotionally wrought to keep directing traffic and it's understandable but then everybody forgot to go and tell him <laughs> you <Yeah>. know <laughs> he's still sitting in there yeah. <laughs> and everybody's celebrating and he's still sitting in that room and and they portrayed all of that in the movie and i, I it just and it, you know it also found out that they used some of the actual people like the um the ferry, the first ferry on the scene, the pilot of that ferry, yeah. he actually played captain, him. Yeah. yeah, he played himself. Uh, I thought in the that movie. was neat. Mm-hmm. And and the uh, the the scuba cops, mm-hmm. uh, they used the same scuba cops and they reenacted exactly what they did, which I thought was a really nice touch. Yes, yes. So that and I think they said that even some of the Red Cross workers, when when they show like, putting blankets over them as they come off the ferries. Um, they said that even some of them stepped in uh, to reenact their roles. So it was amazing how many people wanted to be involved in this movie and to reenact what a beautiful story it was. So those are, I guess, are my first impressions of the movie overall. There were also some, you know, some general quotes before we kind of get in our thematic <laughs> study. There were some general quotes that I wanted to share and just do a little bit of discussion about not go into in-depth stuff because... Um, We'll probably run out of time if we did that. We always run out of time. We always run out of time. Don't worry about time. Just ignore the clock on this episode. This is the first one. I'm thinking about running over the press with the car. Self-defense. Do you think a jury would convict? Okay, so lately, in the last year or two, the press has been taking, the media in in general has been taking quite a hit. Um, I thought that this, this, this quote was a rather... Um, apropos <laughs> to the way uh, Americans think of the press these days. The, in context, this is uh, Sully's wife. Uh, the press are basically uh, surrounded the house. Uh, yeah, put siege on her house, and yeah. she can't do anything without running into them and them wanting her her to to give them information about Sully. She comments on the the generators running all the time, and mm-hmm. and. Uh, she can't hear – she can't even have a conversation with her husband because everything is so loud out there. Right. It's understandable, and I think that that is a situation that average Americans hope to never be in, in a situation where the press are suddenly hounding you. Uh, as an as an average American, uh, to be in the spotlight that – to be put suddenly in the spotlight with no warning um, and through no act of your own, it would be intimidating. So, yeah, that, w- that was an interesting quote. I, I guess part of me was looking at it like, well, it, at least they didn't crash and they were surrounding her house for – More macabre well, she, reasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> it, while they were grieving or something. Mm-hmm. But still, it's a huge um, pain in the butt. Yeah, yeah. And and they're just fulfilling the public's want to need to know, you know. Yep. The, um, and part I of our culture. it's part of our culture. We all want to be involved. We all, all want to know what's going on, but it's sad that it does destroy the, the peace and privacy of people when, when they go through something like that. Yeah. Um, it, and it's a shame that our need to know, um, can be so abusive to people. So I guess it's just kind of a reminder, um, to see it from the victim's point of view, I guess, in, mm-hmm. in, in that instance, the next quote. 
Seeking the facts is hardly fishing, Mr. Skiles. Now, I just, this really jumped out at me. This is during one of the uh, conversations that the uh, investigatory body Hmm. just, it it just kind of popped in because I think Sully uh, and and his first officer were really feeling like they, they, they were on a witch hunt. And they they were going on a fishing expedition, you know, to try and find something that went wrong somewhere around the way. And their response was seeking the facts is hardly fishing. And mm-hmm. I thought that, I don't know, it just, it stuck out at me as we, we always want to talk about facts uh, as being these hard things that you can find and, and deal with. Yeah. Um, well, but the... the- the committee has uh, has a difficult job to do too, and but I don't think Sully and Skiles, Skiles, <laughs> I don't think Sully and Skiles were out of line to think that you know they were being targeted. Mm-hmm. When it comes to crashes, something like eighty percent of crashes by NTSB reckoning are uh, pilot error. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, you know it's like those crime films. It's, when it's murder, the spouse is always uh, the killer. Right, right. It's, they expect they expect to be targeted. So there's going to be an adversarial nature. Mm-hmm. In any um, investigation, right. While when Skyle said something, while he made his uh, uh, fishing comment, mm-hmm. I felt a little sorry for Charles Porter. Mm-hmm. The the guy who was heading up the investigation, right? But as the movie went on, I think he was coming coming across as more and more of a jerk, right? Uh, and all and the I, way up until the very end, right? And I and really felt like Sully understood was he he really was very he almost left it to Skiles to be defensive. He didn't he wasn't as defensive I think in in his encounters with NTSB. In fact, um, earlier on in the movie, he actually made the point of saying. No, it's not personal. NTSB is just doing its job. Once they have all the facts, it'll calm down. So yeah, I really feel like Sully had the proper perspective on yeah. on what was going well, on. Sully is a uh, he was a safety expert, mm-hmm. so he must have done a lot of work with the the men and women at the NTSB in his professional um, capacity by that point. In fact, they even said at one point, we're not going to think about all the other instances that we've interacted with you. <laughs> that's, that's you know, part not part of this picture. Yeah. yeah. So it's, I think uh, the familiarity probably helped him maintain a, uh, a more even keel. Mm-hmm. And uh, Skiles was definitely the more emotional of the two, but he was also the funnier of the two. Right. Hands down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and he and he made good points. I mean, it wasn't that he was just being defensive; he was making points that were necessary. Yeah, and and so yeah, his input was very good. Uh, speaking of him, uh, the next quote is is also his quote. You enjoying the shakes, the nightmares, rabbit heartbeat? A little bit. What I found interesting about this conversation between Sully and Skiles—they went out for a walk in the middle of the night—was that they were sharing in. I guess the the post-traumatic trauma that they were both going through, the nightmares, which we were introduced to at the beginning of the movie, was uh, Sully's not able to sleep because every time he closes his eyes, he thinks of how it could have happened. And you really get a sense that in that thinking of what it could have happened was his anguish over the fact that this happened over a populated area a densely populated area and that he didn't the most densely populated area and he didn't have a lot of choices as to where to safely land the plane because 
if he tried to make it back to a runway and he, you know, made the wrong choice, he would end up crashing into buildings. And that's what he, his, his flashbacks and his nightmares were all about crashing that plane into buildings and killing a lot of people. It wasn't just about the people on the airplane. He was thinking about the people underneath the airplane. Yeah. And, and I think that really added to the trauma for him. Yeah, it you know they mention it once or twice in the movie. Uh, I think only once in the movie, but it's actually mentioned a couple times in the extras. Um, the fact that Sully's Sully said his resting heartbeat was fifty five. Yeah, and uh, I want to say it was for weeks afterwards. His resting heartbeat was in over a hundred. Was in or around a hundred? Right. So I mean it. It really does speak to the amount of stress that even surviving mm-hmm. such a um, uh, incredible situation uh, can put on uh, even the best of people. Right. So right. it's I I think uh, I, I think the shakes are are I think they're <laughs> probably part of the healing process and perfectly acceptable at this point. Right. Right. And and we understand our our vets who return from war have PTSD and and we often forget that people who are in tra- any other traumatic instances like like this one or even just being in a car wreck, it causes flashbacks, it causes anxiety. Um that PTSD is not just for our military vets, other people have it too. Mm-hmm. And and so that I mean t- to me this just reminded us to have um, some compassion for people who've gone through something like that. It's something they're going to live over and over and over again, probably for the rest of their lives. Yeah. It's just, you know, our hats off that they were able to stay in the moment and do what they needed to do at the time. And they anguished over the other choices and the other things that could have happened after the fact. Yeah. The next one uh, is probably the most famous line from the movie. Uh, it's, it appeared in the trailer and it ap- appeared... I think probably uh, in multiple places outside of the movie as well. I've delivered a million passengers over 40 years in the air, but in the end, I'm going to be judged on 208 seconds. That is right. I mean, the whole point of this movie was how people were looking at Sully after the accident, because really this movie takes place the day after and beyond that day. And, he he has gone down in history for what happened in that yeah. 200, 208 seconds. He's Hero Pilot USA. Yeah. For our listeners, see, uh, in the extras, it says that they actually received mail uh, with no address on it except for <laughs> the words Hero Pilot, comma, USA. And this is from mail from Europe. Uh-huh. And it would get to him. Yeah. So it, the movie really is, as much as it, as it is about the uh, crash in the Hudson, it may Landing. even more uh, – uh, <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Good so, point. Sully would never let anybody call it a crash. He said, I landed that plane. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, the movie really does focus a lot on what it – you know, what is – what makes him a hero? Right. And you know what? What's interesting about that is is that the movie is called Sully. The movie is not called Miracle on the Hudson or Landing on the Hudson or any of the other many ways that this incident was referred to in the press and the media. It's called Sully because the movie is about him, not about what he did. Mm-hmm. And I really feel like... That he he will be remembered. In fact, one of the documentaries I watched, they were saying that he had to quit flying 
because every time he would take a, a flight, yeah. people would mob him whenever they saw him, and it would and it would delay the flights that he piloted. So he had to quit flying because of this. Not because he couldn't fly anymore, but because he was so popular and people knew him, he couldn't go anywhere near an airplane without being mobbed by people. And so he had to he had to quit flying, and that was kind of sad to think of that his popularity. <laughs> keeps him from flying and that's tough on any pilot yeah but i think that's a really good transition to go into our our first discussion on that we the thematic discussion okay so the question is uh the movie is about sully Mm -hmm. uh and the question becomes is sully a hero and what makes what is our modern definition of a hero Mm mm-hmm so to uh, to sort of kick us off, I, I looked up the Merriam-Webster definition of a hero, and uh, the first two have to do with mythology and all that. Clearly, they don't <laughs> apply. Right. So definition 1C is a person admired for achievements and for uh, noble qualities, and 1D is uh, one who shows great courage. So 1D is, is, in my mind, it's sort of like the military definition of a hero, the, mm-hmm. the recipient of the Medal of Honor who throws himself on the grenade or <laughs> yeah or uh, even though they're a they are a um, conscience and subjector runs out and rescues people on the battlefield mm-hmm. right exactly why don't we go play a quote i don't feel like a hero i'm just a man who was doing his job yeah th- this is clearly sully showed great qual uh, excuse me great courage Mm-hmm. But so did it. So did Skiles, mm-hmm. and so did the uh, the rest of the flight crew. Right. right. So in that sense, they are all heroes. Right. They did their job. They just they stuck with it. They didn't give up. Um, they they did their job. They stayed in control of the situation. I mean, there are, probably aren't too many pilots out there who aren't going to go a little panicky at the idea of losing all of your engines. At once on takeoff. I mean, you don't you don't have the altitude to make a lot of decisions at that point. It's a good thing I'm not a pilot because I wouldn't be panicky. I'd probably be wetting myself. Yeah. So so what makes what makes Sully a hero in beyond showing great courage really is the qualities that he showed under fire in in the aftermath. Right. Uh, not just in the cockpit during right. the during the event, but from there on, and mm-hmm. that's what a lot of the movie is about, right? And I I appreciate the fact that they break up break that activity up throughout the movie. They're all done as flashbacks, and the way that the movie tells the story is we see him flashback to the instance in in what happens in the cockpit um, after the bird strike. He flashes back. When he's th- when he's talking to his wife and he and he goes through it again in his mind. OK, you know, what happened? Um, what could I have made any other decisions? And then the aftermath after the plane hit the water was a flashback while he was sitting in the bar and they were talking about how much time he had. And he thinks about all the instances that happened then. So he, they kind of break up the action. So you're not seeing it yeah. in sequence. I was really impressed with the fact that as soon as they hit the water, both pilots uh, immediately went back and started to help the evacuation. Yeah. And the fact that everybody kind of was just sitting there, like they landed on the water, everybody was expecting to die. And so when they landed in the water and the plane kind of bobs there, it's starting to sink, but it's a slow sink. 
um, everybody's kind of like sitting in their seats going, what do we do now? We weren't expecting to still be alive. <laughs> yeah. Just for the record, I don't think a slow sink really makes that much difference to the people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the people who are thinking, ah, the plane is sinking. The plane is, the plane is sinking. Yeah. Why is the plane even in the water? <laughs> Why aren't we dead? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I really feel like because when, when you watch the interviews with the passengers, a lot of them said that it's like we hit the water. We were really expecting to die. Mm-hmm. And so there was that that instant of, wait a minute, we didn't die in the crash. Now what? So the reason the reason that they didn't die mm-hmm. uh, or a good portion of the reason is that uh, Sullenberger was a perfectionist or is a perfectionist at, mm-hmm. at his job. Right. Um, he did his job well. And he did his job well, but by everything I I can tell, he did his job well, regardless of if the circumstances were incredible, like the bird strike and the and the landing in the Hudson, or mundane, like the other forty years that he flew. Mm-hmm. So um, there's a a couple of quotes. There's one point where uh, where he is just learning to fly a bike a crop crop dusting biplane or a, mm-hmm. a biplane uh, that belongs to a crop duster and uh, this is what the the instructor says pilot never stops acquiring knowledge you'll make mistakes everyone does just learn from them. yes sir and never forget no matter what's happening to fly the airplane absolutely sir and i really think that that uh that sets a nice uh foundation for what Sully is all about, and uh, he's all about being a pilot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, the flashbacks in his past really show the fact that he is a man dedicated to flying, and he respects the aircraft that he's flying as well. Mm-hmm. Because the second flashback we see is him as a military pilot, and he he could have abandoned the plane. He had flight instrumentation failure. He could have abandoned. He they could have just ejected because it was a yeah, plane. It, it, the uh, the navigator actually asked, or, yeah. "Do we need to punch out?" Right, and and he flew the plane back. He's like, "Oh no! If if I have a straight shot at a runway, I can land this thing." You know, and he respected the equipment that he flew, and mm-hmm. I I really um he was always a pilot. He always knew what he was capable of doing in the aircraft that he was in. Yeah, it's his attitude did remind me of Colossians uh, three twenty three and twenty four. Um, and I know I've used this one before, but whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, mm-hmm. knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Mm-hmm. And I don't, uh, I don't know if Sully is a man of faith or not, mm-hmm. but he is definitely a man who takes... Uh, who takes a man of an integrity. specific care? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, a man of integrity who takes specific care of uh, to do his job well, mm-hmm. and that uh, that really stands out in the movie and in the the additional documentaries and mm-hmm. and uh, extras. Right, and of course, part of what leads to him doing his job so well during the the crisis is he's been doing it forty years. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. a lot. A long time. He used his experience to make decisions that he didn't, they didn't have time. One of the things I felt was very interesting, and they brought it out in the movie 
a little bit, but it was really more in the documentaries, was how many of these emergency, they have like this emergency procedure book they're supposed to pull out, you know, so in case of, you know, failure of both engines, here are the things you're supposed to do. Well, all of those instances were always based on having the, you know, flight altitude. They had just taken Mm -hmm. off. They didn't have flight altitude. So there was three pages of things they were supposed to do. And one of the last things in those pages, I think it was actually on page two, was they were supposed to turn on um, the The auxiliary auxiliary power. power. And and that was like, you know, further down the list. But because of his experience, he knew that once they lost the engines, they were going to lose power because the the power for all the systems comes from the engines. And if they aren't able to restart the engines, he needs to go to the backup power so that he can continue to use, you know, the, use the rest of the flight instrumentation. And so he just automatically turns that on. I've lost both both engines. Flip it on. And yeah, that wasn't even it, until page two. <laughs> Yes, Skyos says at one point that it's actually step 15, mm-hmm. but the fact that he turned it on so early and the uh, uh, and I don't understand how this part works, but the APU apparently takes a while to ramp up or to, to power mm-hmm. up or something, right. but it saved them. It yeah. saved the entire plane right. by them doing that. I, I wonder if it provided power for like uh, flaps and, and control mm-hmm. surfaces yes. or something. Yes, it, it controls all of those things that are normally powered by the engines. It was a, a backup battery unit that's actually in the tail of the plane, from what I, mm. from what I understand reading all of the, the documentation that I read for this. But, yeah, it, it takes a while to warm up and, get, and actually shunt the power over. And if he hadn't turned it on when he did, they, they would not have been able to control the plane. So it would not have been a controlled descent. They would have, they would have um, actually crashed instead of landed. Mm-hmm. And the main issue with that was he may have been able to still manage to hit the Hudson, but he probably would have hit the bridge because they had to fly over a bridge before they landed oh, yeah, in the water. The George Washington. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and that was – without control of the plane, he probably would not have missed the bridge. So they probably would have taken the bridge out. At, I mean, by that point, they'd already he'd already kind of made the decision that he wasn't going to be able to turn back into the city and, and make for the runways. And I I really feel like it was his experience and his knowledge of the way the plane worked mm-hmm. that, you know, if, if, if any other pilot had just been following the rules, as Skiles points out later, if you'd followed the rules, we would have been dead. Yeah, and and that actually comes up in the uh, the interview that frames the first half of the movie, the the investigation, where um, the the main investigator says this. Okay, well, let's get into how you calculated all those parameters. There was no time for calculating. I had to rely on my experience of managing the altitude and speed of thousands of flights over four decades. You're saying you didn't do anything? I eyeballed it. You eyeballed it? Yes. Yeah, that it, that's fascinating. You know, that he just goes ahead and, and admits that he used his experience to make the decisions, that he didn't have time to make calculations. They, they did not have enough time. You know, when I... On my first viewing in the movie, um, when Skiles says something about, I know he wasn't following the procedure because I had the procedure right in front of me. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point, I I was thinking, you know, maybe they were setting up a uh, conflict between the first officer and, and the pilot. But then uh, it talks it, because that procedure was about the auxiliary power unit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was clear that it becomes clear that. It was that break in procedure that, in conjunction with many other things, uh, contributed to the successful landing of the plane in the Hudson. Mm-hmm. And it was the experience uh, that leads up to that. And 
as I grow older, this becomes more and more a favorite of mine uh, for Scripture. <laughs> and that's uh, Proverbs 29, 9. Uh, the glory of young men is their strength, but the splendor of old men is their gray hair. Which basically means their experience. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah, we have to admire the the experience that comes from doing something over and over and over and over again and and really knowing what they're doing. The the fact that he immediately took over the plane because Giles was actually flying the plane when the bird struck. Yep. And Sully knew immediately that he needed to be the one in control of the plane. So he took over the plane and let Giles go through, you know, the 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 emergency stuff while he just flew the plane because somebody needed to be flying the plane. <laughs> and that yeah. was what his instructor had taught him when he was an, an early pot, early student of flying that you fly the plane. And that was that and that was what saved them because he knew what he was doing. Yeah, it the the teamwork between uh Sully and Skiles and uh, the flight crew uh, as a whole, I think, really uh, was highlighted nicely in the movie. They also highlighted the fact that they weren't they weren't necessarily a team that had been together long because Skiles had when he for, when they go back in time a little bit and show like them preparing the the plane for takeoff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Skiles has made the comment. I Googled you, found your website, you know, <laughs> And that was something that came out a lot in the interviews and in the documentaries was, you know, most pilots don't fly together on a regular basis. This was not a well-oiled team in the fact that they'd flown together. This was, mm-hmm. I think, only the second time they'd been in the air together. The They were on a return flight. The flight to um, New York solely had flown, and Skiles was going to fly the flight back. And so— They were going to Charlotte? Yes. Yes, which was Soli's home. So that was why his wife was at long distance because he was flying home on that flight. Oh, that I I had actually put in my notes why is a pilot of forty years flying regional jet? Because I I, I worked IT in uh, in the airline industry, uh, mm-hmm. Telford Aviation up in in Maine, and and I always had gotten the impression that regional jet uh, piloting was for the inexperienced pilots, and that you would actually eventually move up to. Uh, larger, longer flights, mm-hmm. and here's this this expert pilot flying a flying a regional jump. jet. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But the fact that it was his home run makes all the difference, particularly when you consider uh, how important family is mm-hmm. to Sully, and it comes out in the in, in the, the movie. movie. Yes, and yeah. yes, and I believe their their two daughters were adopted. Um, yep. But that yeah, it said so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's family was extremely important to him, and that was when when he first called his wife um, from the ferry. He called his wife, and she said, "Oh, are you on your way? Are you still on the you know five forty, which is when the when the flight would have uh, uh, arrived?" And and then he was like, uh, "Just calling to let you know I'm safe." You know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, he he was on his way home on that flight. Yeah, it, that was actually the first thing he did as soon as he was able. Mm-hmm. He went to the top deck. He looked at the plane, uh, you know, did a quick assessment, pulled out his phone and called his wife. Mm-hmm. And uh, that wasn't the only time where it was clear that his wife and family were at the forefront of his mind. Even when he was still worried about the 155 on the plane. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I really appreciated that, you know, it was so important to him to make sure his wife and family didn't worry needlessly and that they mm-hmm. were getting everything that they needed. Yes. 
One last comment on Sully being a hero is that, um, you know, they they say the best leaders are uh, not people who seek leadership, but people who have leadership thrust thrust upon them. Mm -hmm. It it was clear uh, the way that not only in the way that Hanks played Sullenberger, but also the way Sullenberger speaks in the uh, the extras and everything. That he was not a glory hound. Uh, he he really did not want the attention, mm-hmm. and um, I appreciated that as well. Mm-hmm. I really felt like I could connect with him much more, knowing that he wasn't out there saying, "Yeah, yeah, I saved those hundred and fifty four other people." Yeah, and it it did remind me of uh, Proverbs twenty five twenty seven. It it is not good to eat much honey, nor is it glorious to seek one's own glory yeah and uh it the humility that he shows uh even to this day apparently mm-hmm. yes um it's i know that uh we had briefly talked the other day um shortly after uh i had gotten the movie uh there was an, an article ran in my local paper that uh, sully was in norfolk mm-hmm. uh not 15 minutes from my house uh in a speaking engagement but when i went to check the tickets they were already all sold out Mm -hmm. i hate it when they put it in the paper and it's already sold out you're like oh (laughs) you're not recording on an event you're recording on something i'm missing right right and it just just to make a note um one of the reasons why i decided to do this movie this month is this is actually the anniversary uh that the crash happened in january i think it was january 15th and so this was an anniversary of the crash this month and i thought it, it wouldn't uh, be kind of correct in doing our episode in January if we actually manage yeah. to get this posted in January. We're <laughs> going to do our best. Uh, you know, that actually – let me jump back to Skyle's uh, sense of humor real quick <laughs> and we'll wrap up the hero the hero section with his, uh, with his quote. First Officer Skiles, is there anything you'd like to add? Anything you would have done differently if you had to do it again? Yes, I would have done it in July. Yeah, and I love that. Yeah, and if that was the last line of the movie. I was like, that is the best way they possibly could have ended <laughs> the movie because the water was so cold. There was ice floating in the river. This was how cold it was. And I, yeah, I mean, if you were going to crash uh, crash land or land a a plane in the Hudson River, let's choose to do it in a warmer season. <laughs> What's the temperature of the Hudson River right now? Well, they said in the and I can't remember what it was in the movie, but they said in some of the documentaries that it was just above freezing. So it would have been like uh it would have been like uh, like 32 33 degrees. So it was a very cold river. I would not I would not have wanted to gone, sw- gone swimming in it. So No. <laughs> and and that was one of the the interesting things uh you had you had pointed out about the the man who dro- jumped out of the the front exit um and they showed it in the movie that he got to it and the thing the ramp did not deploy the ramp life raft did not deploy and he was the first one to the door and the flight attendant just told him jump and yeah. so he was like and i think he was one of the first he was the first class passenger in the first row so he was only two steps from that door and when they interviewed him he says i was two steps from an exit i got there 
And all I could see was water. And the flight attendant said, jump. And so I jumped because what else was I going to do? <laughs> and he ended up in that frigid water. And he said he knew as soon as he hit that water that he had only seconds to figure out what to do. Because when you hit water that cold, he knew that hypothermia was going to shut him down. And, and he had to figure out what to do fast. And thankfully, the raft did then deploy and they were able to pull him into it. But he was very cold. <laughs> I can't imagine being in water that cold. Yeah, he had actually thought about trying to swim for shore. He said he could see it, and he thought about it. He actually took off swimming, and he realized there was no way he could make it, so he turned around and went back to the plane, which was the smartest thing to have done. For the record, the temperature right now in the Hudson River, as of, as of this recording, 33 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's cold that's cold and he didn't and he didn't think to try, grab a flotation of voice so he went into the water without a life jacket or yeah, he was just swimming yeah i don't think he got a flotation device until uh people were in the uh in the the floating you know the ramp mm -hmm. uh the floating ramp the, the inflatable thing yeah the other interesting thing about that was that when it did deploy uh when they filmed that scene they were actually filming it i think they filmed most of this in the summer so they so even like the outdoor scenes where it shows Soli and skiles running around in new york um they actually filmed that in the summer so they had coats and, and stuff on and they were too hot <laughs> instead of too cold but um, when they filmed that scene uh where they the pilots get down into the raft and then detach it um, they had give, been given no training on how to detach that. And so they had, um, they, they were like scrambling, trying to figure out how do you even disconnect this from the plane? Cause they had no clue how, and, and, and the day they filmed that, they actually filmed that in that, that, uh, tank, uh, at the studios, um, that part solely was on set. And, and so they, uh, uh, Tom Hanks said he went up to him afterwards and apologized for how long. He's like, we had no clue how to disconnect that. And he says, what, did you think I knew how to disconnect it? Yeah. <laughs> so it made it more realistic that they had to figure out how to do it because Sully didn't know how to do it either. I like how that scene came out. Too. Yeah, yeah. And they shortened it in the movie. But yeah, it was it was definitely a struggle for them to figure out, how do I disconnect this thing from the plane? <laughs> The final thing that I kind of wanted to talk about, this is, and I even did it at the beginning of this episode, um, this event is often referred to as the miracle on the Hudson. And, and in the movie, it's actually referred to as a miracle. Let's play that quote. Huh, I guess you haven't heard. He landed the son of a... <laughs> what? <laughs> Everyone's been pulled off. It's a miracle. And, yeah, that was an unknown to us at the time of the movie, at least, uh, talking to the air traffic controller who was still convinced at that point that he had lost the entire flight. Right. And they they were claiming right then that, the, that this is a miracle, that everybody got off the plane, that he landed it. And it's interesting to me that when people talk about this, they keep saying that it was a miracle. I would beg to differ with that because miracle is an act of God. And I really feel like this was the providence of God, the providence of God in uh, putting a man behind the controls who knew what he was doing and could make the right decision in a split second. And that's providence. That's not a miracle. Um, I think God's hand was in it. I, I would say to not say that God's hand was in it would be a fallacy because God's hand is in everything. He's sovereign. Um, but to call this a miracle would be stretching, stretching it quite a bit. That's my understanding of, uh, of how we as evangelical 
Christians should differentiate differentiate between miracles and providence is that everything works towards the glory of God. We know that from scripture, Mm -hmm. all things work to the glory of God and those who are called uh, according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28, I think. But, uh, and and you actually commented on this in our earlier discussion uh, before we started recording it. Miracles really, need to call specific attention to God as the only source of uh, of the event. Right. It has to be outside, the, only of, the, outside yeah. of the natural law. Yeah. And uh, it, in this case, in the, the case of this flight landing on the Hudson, everything was in perfect place for this to happen exactly as it did. Mm-hmm. The right man in the right place with the, the right conditions. And... Uh, I think it was, uh, cl- in my mind, clearly providential mm-hmm. and not miraculous. Right. And and it's interesting because we tend to think of of um, th- bad things occurring as somehow, you know, if you escape an earthquake or you somehow you were one of the people who was supposed to be in the towers on 9-11, but for some reason you weren't there. You tend to think of that as being some kind of miraculous thing that you survived. And I think that's Mm -hmm. why people call it a miracle because they survived it. You know, that people walked out of this, they survived it. There were only slight injuries. I think the worst injury was to one of the flight attendants who hurt her leg on during the crash or during the landing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It wasn't a crash. It wasn't a crash. This, this, just a few scriptures kind of kind of came to mind. One of them was um, when we talk about who sinned, you know, that, some people die and some people don't die. Was that because of sin in their life? Well, Jesus answered that question. Um, this this comes up in a, a discussion in the book of Luke. It says, there were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So Pilate had slaughtered a bunch of, of Jews. He says, and he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse defenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you all will likewise perish. This, that is uh, Luke 13, 1 through 5. The reason I bring that up is is a lot of times we take this instance as, well, maybe the people who survived were better than the people who died. You know, maybe there was some reason mm-hmm. that God chose them to die. And that is the absolute wrong perspective to take. Um, that that the people who die in horrific circumstances like on 9-11 or even the Ethiopian crash that pinwheeled when it tried to make a water landing, God doesn't judge people uh, because some are more sinners than others. That's not the way that he chooses who will survive and who, who will die. We all will eventually die. We will all eventually face judgment. And we have to remember that God's providence is based on uh, our need for salvation um, not on how much we sin, because we all sin, we all fall short. Right, right. Yeah, it's it as a corollary. Uh, I think back to when Hurricane Katrina hit. Mm-hmm. Um, there was talk about uh, it being punishment from God for the sins. Yeah, the sins. Yeah, this. this I don't know if it was the sins of the people of New Orleans or the sins of the people of the United States or or what have you. Um, but personally, I, that kind of talk always bugs me, mm-hmm. uh, because I mean, when a hurricane hits or 
somebody contracts cancer or any of the uh, malfunctions of this world, they are all a result of sin, but they're not a result of, you know, stealing a pen from from the office or, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. taking somebody's stapler or something like that. They're a result of sin being part of creation Right, yeah. Yeah, the the marring of God's perfect world by the existence of sin. It's not particular sins, it's the existence of sin. Mm-hmm. We live in a in a marred creation. And one of the the quotes that that Sully made even in context it really struck me, but when you take it out of context it's just a very um I don't know, a, a point of wisdom. They they commented that his landing was unprecedented. You know that this this the the fact that he lost both engines on takeoff was an unprecedented thing, mm. and this is what he said: That would be unprecedented. Well, everything is unprecedented until it happens for the first time. And that really stunned me because what he was saying is is that you can't base everything that happens on something that happened before. You can't you you have to take each event as it happens for the reasons that it happened, and not declare whether or not. You know, well, that couldn't have happened because it's never happened before. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there, there's a little bit well, of that'd be a boring existence, <laughs> wouldn't it? Yeah. And I really felt like this movie exemplified the lesson that Esther learned in the book of Esther. And I, I love to come back to her because God put her into a position of power at a time when he needed somebody to make to do something. And when she finds out about a plot to kill her people and she she runs to the only person in her life that she knows that can give her points of wisdom, her uncle Mordecai. And in Esther 4, 13 through 14, Mordecai tells Esther, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at the time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. I love that point of wisdom. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. It's like a very, one of the most popular phrases from the book of Esther is, did, how, who knows that you did not come to be there for just such a time as this. And the fact that Mordecai says, if you stay silent and you don't do anything, God's going to cause deliverance to come from another quarter. Yeah. But he put you here to be the, the object of deliverance. So we are all tools of God and we have to be open to being used by God in the position that he's placed us when, when the opportunities arise, we have to be sensitive to God's leading. And I think that uh, whether or not Sully is a man of God, and we really don't know, I mean, from, from everything that we've looked at, we really have not gotten an impression of whether of where he is from a spiritual standpoint. But God used him. He was a tool in God's hands in this situation. This was an evidence not of a miracle, but God providing the right man at the right time to do the right things, to make the right decision, because God had not appointed any of those people to die that day. And we need to we need to practice the same. I mean, mm-hmm. when when we are put in any position, be it incredible or mundane, we need to do the best we can in accordance with God's will as defined in scripture, because Mm -hmm. to do anything else would be sinful. Right. 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 And I think this is an indication that, that God uses everybody. Um, in, uh, in, uh, Proverbs 16, four, it says the Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. And that means that, that, 
I mean, his sovereignty isn't just over his own people and we don't have to be answer. I mean, we should answer his call when he tells us to do something. We should be sensitive to his voice and and do what he tells us to do, but he doesn't need us to. He can, he can do whatever he wants. He is in control of everything. And I think that that should be a comfort to us that we, if we miss that opportunity, God's going to do it in another way because he is sovereign. Amen. <laughs> well, I think that's actually a good point. There's a lot more we could say about this movie and we probably could have do a second episode, but I think we've covered this movie fairly well. And I'd love to hear what other people have to say about this movie because uh, I hope everybody's had a chance to watch it because it really is good. If you have it, go watch it. Yeah. It's. I don't think it's on any of the uh, the on demand services yet. Well, the though. DVD just came out in December, so we, oh, we are okay. we are um, riding the first wave, I guess. <laughs> Yay! We're Yay. on the forefront. Yay! Yay. Um, so you definitely comment on the show notes, which are again, are, are you just watching dot com slash sixty six? You can call us at nine zero three two three one two 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 one and leave a voicemail. You could also email us at feedback at are you just watching dot com. We do want you to subscribe, rate, and review us in iTunes. We love reviews. Reviews really help, you know, bump up our, the popularity of the podcast, and we want people to know about us. Share us. When you see what we post on Facebook, share us with your friends so that we get more visibility out there because we would we would love to have more people listening to our podcast. We do have a new Facebook discussion group, as I mentioned at the beginning. Um, so look us up on Facebook and join the discussion group. Um, it is a, a private group. So once you join, uh, all the commentary is staying private. It's not open up to the world to read. You can follow me at twi- on Twitter at E. Franklin. And you can follow me at Renchepley, R-E-N-C-H-E-P-L-E. Wonderful. So that finishes out our episode on Sully. Do let us know what you think about it. We enjoyed talking about this movie a great deal. And so uh, we hope to uh, hear more from you. I'm E. Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And thanks for listening. And don't just watch. Are You Just Watching is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network at noodle.mx. Our opening vocal talent was thanks to Mariah. The theme song is used courtesy of Answers in Genesis. For more great podcasts like this one, visit the Noodle Mix Network at noodle.mx. That's noodle.mx. Noodle.mx.